0: Many of us believe that in order to gain love, acceptance, and validation, we must act the way others want us to. We downplay our gifts, apologize for speaking truth, and hide who we really are. Along the way, we sink into insecurity because we forget that we are already who God created us to be. This is Misty Phillip, and you're listening to the By His Grace podcast. Today, I sit down with Amanda Pittman, the founder of Confident Women Co. She's written a new book, called Stand in Confidence, From Sinking Insecurity to Rising in Your God-Given Identity. This is the first book that's been released by the Esther Press, and I had an amazing conversation with Amanda, and I know that you're going to find hope and inspiration to walk in the freedom in which God has created you to live.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app.
0: Amanda Pittman, welcome to the By His Grace podcast. I am excited
1: to have you on, my friend. Thank you so much for having me, Misty. It is really cool to meet you. You're just a go-getter doing all the things. It's it's giving inspirational.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I've been excited to meet you because actually, we put Susan McPherson of the Esther Press on the cover of the Spark Media magazine and did an article. And you are actually the first book that is coming out with the Esther Press, so that mm-hmm. is so exciting. You are a pioneering woman yourself, and so I'm excited. To to talk to you about confidence and you just your new book standing in confidence. And so you are the founder of Confident Woman Co. And so tell us the story behind that.
1: I never envisioned leading Confident Woman Co. It was definitely God's plan not mine <laughs> because my plan was to become a flutist in a major symphony orchestra preferably in Dallas and um, I went to school for music. Ended up doing music education. But once I rededicated my life to God after like straying from him, denouncing my faith altogether, when he drew me back to himself, that's when my plan for my life changed and his plan for my life took off. So my husband and I just started sharing our story on YouTube. And that's when I began sharing on Instagram and blogging. And this was, I want to say in 2013 or so. And I didn't think that my voice had a lot of value. I didn't think that people would listen to what I had to say, um, but my husband just encouraged me to do it. And I'm so glad I did because when I, when I started to share my testimony, when I started to share what God had done for me, share just biblical wisdom, it really resonated with people. But then I started to see a theme. The more I established my confidence in Christ and I didn't place it in all of these other areas and didn't place my identity in all of these other things the stronger my voice became and the more i helped other women do the same so in 2018 my husband and i planted a church in atlanta we were helping out our pastors at the time to plant a campus of their church and at the time we were broke because my husband left his job and i was a stay at home mom and i did not have a conviction to to go back to work and so we believe that we not have a traditional nine to five if we're pastoring a church, not because it's wrong, but just because we wanted to have the flexibility to adequately serve those we're leading. And so we were just broke. We didn't have any money. And during that time, I launched a program called the Confident Woman Mentorship Program. And I fell in love with helping other women establish their confidence. And it became something greater than I anticipated it. That December of that year, the Lord told me to host an online conference and it was called the Confident Woman Online Conference. And then the following year, he told me to, to host a retreat and it was the Confident Woman Atlanta retreat. And so I started to see this theme. And so I was just like, you know what, let's just, uh, you know, let's just have an, an overarching something, you know, confident woman co I don't know what the co stands for, but it has a ring to it. It sounds good. It could be collective. It could be company. I don't know. I just need something to house it because there's this theme. I didn't fully know what it was, even though God did. And I, I really wanted it to remain in the place of not ministry. I don't know what to call it, but not ministry, just because I didn't want that responsibility. I didn't want uh, those labels, those expectations. But over time, the Lord made it so clear to me, Amanda, this is a ministry, this is a ministry. So originally the mission for confident woman co was to equip women to confidently pursue their God given purpose, which is good, but not, not, not perfect because what I found was so many women who I would lead would care so much about their calling and purpose and chase that rather than pursuing God himself. And what I found was when you seek God and you seek him with all of all of your heart and you establish your confidence in him, him as as a person, not everything he can give you, but just him. That is when calling and purpose and destiny, all of these things follow. And so the Lord led me to just pivot and um the new mission became equipping women to stand confidently upon the finished work of Jesus and at that point that's when it really became what it is today which is which is a ministry that helps women worldwide we have a community that women can group up and do bible studies together do prayer together and i just love seeing what it came what it became but God really was leading me step by step because I did not see it from the beginning.
0: Yeah, that sounds exactly like my mission and <laughs> vision with Spark and and I learned similar lessons when we surrender to him and and to his will and to his way and and we're not really chasing after something. We're just we're pursuing him. And when we pursue him and 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 that's what he wants from us is he just wants to be with us and he wants to do amazing things in and through us, but he wants To speak into our lives first. So that's beautiful. Let's back up a little bit because you taught, you mentioned your husband, but how did this whole crazy thing started? Cause y'all met in college. So let's take me back to the beginning and share sort of what happened before you started Confident Women Co.?
1: Yeah. So my husband and I met in an 8 a.m. art of acting class. So it was an elective because he went to school for engineering. I went to school for music. So our our paths didn't cross often, but I'm glad they did there. And he was always like well-known on campus, but I was just glad to meet him. and. We became friends, but at the time I was in a relationship. So I never really considered it as anything more. However, I was totally looking for a way out. I was like really close to being done and praying to God for direction because I had just rededicated my life to the Lord and this relationship was just not in alignment with him. And so by the end of that semester, our friendship had grown and um, Michael stops me in the cafeteria, the, the you know, school cafeteria umph. I'm free. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's been a, it's been a few few years, but yeah. Um, and he said, Amanda, we have to be friends. I know, I know that the semester is ending; it's almost over, but we have to be friends. And I was like, okay, yeah. He's like, no, you don't understand. Like, we can't just like stop talking just because we're not in class anymore. Like, we have to keep talking. We have to be friends. I was like, okay, you're really serious <laughs> about this. And um, I was like, okay, that sounds great. And then. It was the last day of the semester, you know, people are packing up their stuff to go home for the holidays. You know, I'm like packing up my stuff, going to leave in the next day or two. And I see him across campus and I'm walking with another friend and he runs across campus and in front of that friend, he gets my number. And so we're texting throughout that winter break and I had left my relationship that I was in and we just really hit it off. Like right before the semester ended, he like came to my dorm room and we talked for hours and we talked about our goals, dreams, purpose. And the thing with Michael is that he's such a friendly person that I didn't want to get my hopes up too much because you just never know, you know, he's just friendly, you know, maybe he does this with everyone, but I definitely was interested. But by the end of winter break, we got back to school and you know, we just fell in love, you know, we we fell in love and we never looked back 11 months later after we had became Facebook official, he proposed. And then six months later we were married. So that's kind of the love story. And before I even got to the confident woman co piece, we started to share our journey of dating God's way on YouTube. And the reason why we were sharing this was because we were craving mentorship. We were craving others to pour into us and we would look for people to go out to lunch with And so many of the examples that we were looking for, they weren't walking in victory with their marriage and they didn't have as much to offer as we were looking for, unfortunately. And so it felt as if we were the only ones doing it, you know, and it also felt like, I mean, on, on campus, it wasn't like one of those ring by spring schools. Like it wasn't a Christian school, you know, it was more of a party school and people don't get married until they're 27, 28, (laughs) you know? So this, it was, we, we made the school newspaper because it was such an anomaly that we got engaged while we were in college. And so we felt like we didn't have anyone. And so Because of that, we're like, we we can't be the only ones who feel this lonely, trying to do it God's way. We're not trying to do it like we had done it before, right? We really want to date God's way. And so we just started sharing that journey on YouTube and we're able to help people with that. And it grew from there.
0: Yeah. So how you, you mentioned that your husband is, you know, really encourages you and, and helps you with with your confidence. But how did that time with him, how did that begin moving you from insecurity into your God given identity?
1: I would say that I for such a long time had the wrong view of love. I saw love as transactional, even God's love. And I had learned these narratives from previous relationships that love is based on how impressive I can be, how great of a girlfriend I could be, how much I can meet your standards. And that works out well until you're not right until you're not that person's standard until you're not perfect. And so one of the things Michael told me whenever we were first dating, I asked him, why do you love me? And coming from the kind of relationships I had been in, you know, I'm expecting him to just praise me. You know, I love you because, you know, you're so kind to me and, you know, you have such a great personality. You're beautiful. We get along, blah, blah, blah. No. He said, I love you because I choose to. Whenever I heard that I was offended. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was offended because I'm like, what do you mean? You love me because you choose to. Am I really that hard to love? But the thing is at that time he wrote a blog and he he shared that. And the blog was called why I don't love my fiance. And he shared this long list of things that he enjoys about me and he likes about me, but he says, none of these things are why I love Amanda. I love Amanda because I choose to. And at that time, a lot of the older married folks were like, I mean, uh, Michael, you get it. That was such a good blog. And I didn't get it at first, but I really liked it when I wasn't so lovable. I really liked it when, you know. Hey, I'm I'm going through a really awkward phase with my hair right now because I chopped it all off. Now I'm growing it back out and there's no way around it. You just got to rough it out, you know, um, right. or, you know, there are times where I was way more harsh than I needed to be in my speech and he could have just rejected me and tossed me to the side and he didn't. He stewarded me and loved me and didn't revoke his love because of it. And it taught me something. It it taught me that we all want to be loved for how great we are until we're not that great. And so true love is not dependent on us. True love is dependent on a commitment and a decision. And that's exactly what God's love is. God's love is not dependent on how good we are, how impressive we are, how much we can perform for him, how, how many tricks we could do for God, how many people we can pray for. His love for us is dependent on himself, his character, his goodness, his commitment and his decision to remain faithful to his covenant. The scripture says, while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. When we could do nothing for him, he did everything for us. That's true love. And so renewing my view of love really renewed my view of God and it renewed my view of myself. And that's what led to confidence because when I could see God accurately, when I could see myself accurately, I became confident. Yeah.
0: You know, I have a similar story, different, but similar in that Mm -hmm. um, one day my husband looked at me and he said, baby, you don't feel loved. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I know you love me. He said, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Like you feel, you don't feel that God loves you. You know that God loves you, but you don't feel that God loves you. And God took me through a really difficult journey where I broke both of my arms and couldn't do anything anything at all for myself for a year and the only thing I could do was pray and in that Mm. time God just sat me down and he said I love you I love you not for the things that you do for me I just love you and I'm so I'm so glad that you're talking about this because when someone can grasp who they are in Christ it changes everything. Definitely. And I, and I think that's where a lot of young girls in particular are really struggling right now is in their identity. So we're going to talk about some of the other things that you wrote in in the book, because I'm just, I cannot wait for you to get this out into the world. I know you're going to help so many people. In the book, Standing Confidence, you talk about that you've actually struggled with insecurity most of your life, which mm-hmm. looking at you now, no one would ever think that. Um, but does this look the same for all women, or or what mm-hmm. what does that look like for you know different women in different ages and stages of life? How can that look?
1: I can't say that it looks the same for every woman because we all have a different journey. But what I can say is that the same pressures reach every single one of us. And it's the pressures that culture puts on us, the pressures that the church puts on us, and even pressures from friends and family. And it, the the thing is, the thing that leads so many, so many women into insecurity is misplaced identity and a lot of voices, right? So the church may say, you know, your identity is in Christ, but If that church does not behave as if their identity in Christ is in Christ and that church behaves as if their identity is in how much they can serve the church, how holy they can appear, how perfect they can appear, then they will have this works-based performance perfectionistic view of their identity, that they'll have to strive to attain identity rather than standing in what God has already given them. It's similar with culture culture may say, Oh, love yourself. You know, you're accepted. But if culture in the same, in the same breath is saying, you know, you have to be this size, you know, this is the standard of beauty and this is what makes you a real woman. And this is how you should treat your man or stick it to the man. We're all feminists now. Like (laughs) it's always changing, right? Right? Like it's a swinging pendulum. Nobody agrees. That's right. And that's the issue. There's so many voices that are telling us this is how you should identify yourself. And everybody's standard is different. Even when it comes to our friends and family, the, the people closest to us can have the most influence on us. And sometimes we can even idolize the voice of a friend, idolize the voice of a parent and their expectations for us become more important than God's expectations of us. So they're saying, Hey, I want you to become this, this engineer, you have to become a doctor or you're not worthy. You know, it, it, it's different for every woman but these pressures reach all of us. And so it's just so pervasive. And and that's why it's so important that we learn how to turn down the noise and hear the voice of God because there's so many voices and you're always going to feel insecure if you're trying to find your worth, significance, value, and identity in everybody else's perception of you because it's impossible. You're always going to feel like you're failing someone. If you're making one person happy, you're, you're failing somebody else. But if you're only focused on the voice of God, If you turn down the noise and hone in on his perfect, precious voice, you'll hear his thoughts about you. And the great thing about identity is that it's not something you have to discover. It's already written in scripture. It's not something that you discover, but it's something that you stand in. And then when you learn the way that God has designed you, then you won't feel like you have to be anyone else's version of who you're supposed to be. So I think that's how it it affects women today. I could not
0: agree more. My husband and I, on our podcast, Spark Influence, did a whole episode about that. And it was mm-hmm. entitled, Stop Listening to Gurus and Start Listening to the Holy Spirit. Because the world is so loud and noisy. and So noisy. And we're taking it in from so many different places. But we have to break away from that to cuz God says it's his still small voice and and we can't be attuned to his words if we're not in the word and and we don't know what yeah. he has to say about us. So yeah. What are a few of the other false narratives that you think that are fueling insecurity?
1: Yeah, there are a lot of them. Um some of these false narratives are, well, all of them are based on fear. I used to think I didn't struggle with fear. You know, I used to think, oh, you know, like maybe I might struggle with sadness or I might struggle with depression. Sure. I don't struggle with fear. I'm fearless. But I was in a, a, a counseling session and my a counselor asked me, Amanda, like, what is it that you fear? If you're behaving this way, what is it that you're fearing? And I was like, I don't fear. But then I was like, if it's not fear, then what is it? And so A lot of these narratives are fueled by fear. So it could be the fear of the opinions of people, the fear of judgment, the fear of lack, the fear of going through hard times, the fear of being unprotected. A lot of these things, these fears, we try to avoid them. And in doing so, we're not surrendered to God's voice, but instead, we're surrendered to the voice of fear. And so because of these narratives that are running through our minds, like, oh, you have to be, if you're not perfect and you're going to be rejected, rejected the fear. And then we feel like we have to we have to perform. We have to be perfect. And so this these narratives are going to be different from woman to woman, but the solution to combat them is the same. You have to have comebacks. You have to have a conviction. Okay. So this, these comebacks are, okay. This is what I, what the, the voice of fear is trying to tell me. I'm going to pinpoint it. I'm going to call it out, but then I'm going to come with a comeback. So I'm, I'm going to respond with scripture. Like for instance, if the fear of lack is leading you and it's causing you to overwork because you're afraid of, of loss, then you have to say, okay, this is, this is the fear that I'm dealing with. And this is the narrative that's running through my mind. And it's causing me to not be all that God has called me to be. And it's making me insecure. And the way that I'm going to respond is I'm going to look at all of these scriptures that remind me that God is my provider that he is the one who will sustain me. So, you know, the, the scripture that talks about, uh, look at the, the lilies in the field and the birds in the air. Like they, they look at the sparrows, you know, they don't, they don't even worry for a moment in their life, how they're going to be taken care of, yet God provides for them. How much more would he provide for his children? Standing on those scriptures and coming back with those, with scripture is going to really help break those narratives because there are narratives and then there are truths. There's truth. And then also having about God's character. Many times when we have these fears and narratives running through our mind, we're second guessing God's character. And so what can we say about God's character in this? Okay, so this is what scripture says. He says, you know, God will care for the, the lilies in the field and the birds in the air. He'll care for me. And I'll also say, God is my provider. I know he will come through for me. And may that be your confession. That's when you have an arsenal, you have a way to fight back. The reason why so many Christian women are sinking in insecurity is because they're listening to the voice of of the enemy and they're accepting it. Thoughts are just thoughts. They're going to come and they can be implanted by the enemy. They can be implanted by God. They can just be our flesh. However, we don't have to ascribe to them. We don't have to accept them. We don't have to believe them. We don't have to confess them. So many Christian women are hearing them. And because it's a thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to accept it. No, you have the power to reject those thoughts. As scripture says, we have the power to take captive every lofty thought that sets itself uh, above the knowledge of Christ. We take it captive and we tear down strongholds. So you can say, no, this is what scripture has to say about it, And this is a conviction I have about God's character. So there are many narratives that come our way, but there is a solution available to us. And we don't have to lay victim to it because we have the victory in Christ. Amen, sister. Preach
0: it. You're, you're so right because the word is is, is, is it's, it's our sword. It's our weapon. So every other piece mm-hmm. of armor that it talks about in Ephesians is is protection. But the only thing that is our weapon is scripture. So we have to take those thoughts captive and then refute them with scripture so that we don't because that's where the battlefield is it's in our mind in yeah. it and it it comes through the things that we see and the things that we hear and the things that we dwell on and so that's why it's important to have that helmet of salvation so that we protect our mind like all of that protective gear is there to protect our heart to to our breastplate of righteousness, right? But it is the weapon that we use to tear down stronghold. So I'm so yes. glad that you said that. Well, I want to wrap up the interview, but I want to give you one more question, which is in the book, you describe four components
1: of confidence. Can you unpack those for us? Yes, there are four components of confidence, and these are the same four components of confidence that the Lord established in my life to transfer this salvation that I had to true competence. And the four components are clarity, connection, competency, and conviction. When you have clarity, this is knowing who you are, because when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And when you know who you are, two things are really happening. When you're embracing your identity, notice I didn't say discover it. you not discovering it. You're embracing it because it's already written in scripture. You're, you're a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. You're a royal priesthood and a holy nation. You are a child of God. These things are already established. So it's not about discovering. It's about embracing. And then after you embrace your identity, you also need to define your God-given design. Each of us have a unique spiritual fingerprint. And we feel insecure when we feel as if there's only one archetype of a woman that God can use and we have to fit into somebody else's mold and have all of these things that look like great on the outside when they don't align with the way that God designed us and so uh, defining your design is how you can align with your design and have clarity on what God has called you to do so that first component is clarity and the second component is connection there are two main places where we need to find connection one connection with God and then connection with others. And it has to happen in that order because we just talked about it. If we become so you know, many times we I hear people say, I don't hear the voice of God. And it's like, no, I believe you do. It's just drowned out by the noise of the opinions of people. So if we try to seek the voice of people before we seek the voice of God, then it's going to drown out the voice of God. Because if, if we can have a strong connection with hearing the voice of God, then he will actually lead us in picking our people with wisdom. And so having the right voices around you, people handpicked by God, even when you don't see yourself accurately, even when you're storing the sink in insecurity, they're going to be able to say, that's not who you are. This is not who God has called you to be. You are who God says you are, and you are going to be everything that he has called you to be. And they'll be able to pull you up. And I am a testament to that. I don't, I cannot tell you how many times I have just felt like I want to throw in the towel. I feel <laughs> wretched. I feel unusable. And Been a there. friend just pulls me out. You know, I need, we need people. It's so important. If you have the wrong voices around you, you're just not going to be confident. But if you have the right voices around you, even when you're not confident, they'll spur you on to confidence. That third component is competency. And uh, competency is really how good you are at what you do. And um, you know, this can transfer to business, this can transfer to school, but when it transfers to our spiritual walk, when it transfers to our confidence in Christ, this competency is an ability to walk in healing and deliverance, which essentially is being free from the pains of this world and the sins of this world, walking in, in that freedom so that it frees up capacity for us to renew our mind. So those, those are the two things that happen. So it's, it's, it's finding freedom and healing and then having this competency to renew your mind. And so in the book, I, I talk about the reclaim your confidence framework that you, you go from your faith, what you truly believe to your focus, your thoughts and your words, which lead you to your feelings, which cycles into the actions that you take which lead to the feedback of your life, the fruit of your life, which becomes your life. And in a very real way, what you truly believe becomes a reality that you live in. And so if we're able to reprogram this with scripture and through the power of the Holy Spirit, then we can actually stand in actual (laughs) confidence. We can do confidence because we've updated our programming. And then the final piece is conviction, because none of this matters if you don't have a big why that's driving you. None of this matters if you're doing it for yourself. Confidence, for confidence sake is sinking sand. And I'm the confidence lady, right? <laughs> confidence for confidence sake is sinking sand too. That's right. If you try to be confident for your own sake, you're going to be just as insecure or you'll become an egotistic narcissist, which is not the goal either. <laughs> <laughs> but when you know your responsibility to God and to others, That is when it transfers to something more meaningful. So this conviction is to know your responsibility within the body of Christ and then stand in that authority. So many times we think it's all about us. Nothing happens if we don't stand up to the call. Nothing happens if we sit on the sidelines. It's optional when that's the furthest from the truth. That's right. We have a real responsibility within the body of Christ and others are depending on us. First, others are depending on us. And second, we are going to stand before God one day. That's right. And so we need to be prepared for that moment so that when we stand before him, we stand in confidence. And that's really the concept of this book. It's just being prepared to stand before God and give an account for what you did in order to do that. We need to know our responsibility and use our God given authority. And I believe when you establish these four things in Christ, you establish your, you establish clarity in him, connection in him, competency in him. conviction in Him, that's when you build a confidence that lasts and that changes your life.
0: That's right. That's when we uh, study to show
1: ourselves a workman
0: approved so that we do not need to be ashamed and God will do it for us. So Amanda, I am so excited about this new book and the lives that will be impacted. Thank you so much for being a guest on By His Grace today. Thank you for joining me today on By His Grace. I hope you've enjoyed listening and are encouraged by our guest today. I would love for you to visit my blog, mistyphilip.com for more encouragement. You can find me on social media as Misty Phillip, and I would love to connect with you there.